Hello, and welcome to the Philosophical Angle Podcast with your host, author Chris Angle. Hi. Welcome to the Philosophical Angle Program, and I am your host, Chris Angle. I'm the author of four books on philosophy, one of which is The Philosophical Equations of Economics. These books are available at thephilosophicalangle.com. If you'd like to contact us to make comment, inquiry, suggestions, feel free to give us an email at contact at thephilosophicalangle.com. The purpose of the philosophical angle is to examine the nature of concepts being used in current media, and secondarily, use those definitions to understand the righteousness and ethical superiority of conservative positions. So this week, we're going to discuss the application of philosophical thought to the Parkland, Florida shootings. We're going to discuss the origin of violence. When considering the origin of violence, we must first consider that it originates in the consciousness of a life entity. The idea of violence upon arriving in a, in a sentient being's consciousness somehow comes forward as an adverse action bringing havoc to others. How does this happen? Well, first, let's analyze the situation into its constituent parts. At our consciousness comes two types of stimuli or experiences. First type is stimuli from outside sources, that is from the environment. The second type comes from within, that is from within our bodies, and it comes to our minds, to our consciousness. Let's call these two types of experiences exterior originating experiences and interior originating experiences. At this point, when stimuli come to come to our consciousness, we're going to experience this as information. And from information, knowledge is generated. This information becomes knowledge when we attach a priority, which is a bit of knowledge in itself, to the in incoming information. That is, as the stimuli comes into our consciousness, we make note of its importance. When a piece of stimulus has importance in our lives, we prioritize it. Once it is prioritized, we can say that this prioritized information is now new knowledge. Therefore, knowledge equals information that is important to us in some way. We will use this information to form knowledge in order to organize our lives. And this order is achieved by prioritizing all the information that's coming to your consciousness. Here, say for driving along in a car, you choose not to remember all the trees, the scenery, the fields in your purview as they go by because it has no importance. It's not necessary to memorize and keep and store all that information. However, 
when we do pass something that has importance in our lives, say, uh, say it's a police car. That might be important if we're speeding. We take note of it because the policeman might give us a ticket for going too fast. What we've done is to take information of the stimuli that's coming in and make it a piece of knowledge that we just saw a police car and prioritized it, noting that we should slow down. So we use these priorities to order our lives. The exterior originating priorities we use to deal with others in our society and the interior originating information are priorities that are used to deal and order our lives, individual lives, personally speaking. Then the two are mixed together to allow us to live in society. So we've learned that there are two types of experiences, interior originating experiences, which produce priorities in dealing with ourselves and the exterior originating priorities coming from the exterior originating information when we deal with others. So when we are with others in society, there are many types of societal experiences. But there are two types that are significantly important regarding incoming experiences from society to which we attach an importance which makes it a piece of knowledge which we will call a priority. The first one we're going to call cooperative behavior. We learn to cooperate with others to produce goodness in the forms of in the form of goods and services. And we produce goodness for socially mutually satisfactory behavior, which also produces social goodness. Now, for everything in this world, mathematics teaches us that there is an opposite and the concept of cooperative behavior is no exception. There is something that we can call anti-cooperative behavior, which would be a type of information, and its resultant essence is coercion from without. That is, outside of our exterior consciousness, coming toward us from other life entities, is the information that a force of some sort, of some magnitude, is approaching. Anti-cooperative behavior approaches our consciousness with its exterior priorities, which is the priorities of others from without. And so, it is the anti-cooperative priorities of others. And this anti-cooperative priority is the inimical behavior of others. And it comprises the essence of direct competition. Competition, we should remember though, is the convergence and divergence of priorities of two or more entities. And so these anti-cooperative priorities approach us as within the convergence part of competition. This anti-cooperative behavior can range from mild economic competition to outright robbery, or in the extreme, 
the theft of life, which can which can also be called killing or murder. The purpose of anti-cooperative behavior is to take goodness away from someone. And its extreme anti-cooperative behavior can take our goodness in the form of our lives away from us for some reason or another, but it can, in extreme situations, attempt to do so for no apparent goodness to be accrued on their part. That is, it seems no goodness travels from from them, the perpetrators, the perpetrators of violence, from us, the victims. It can be, as in the case of the Florida murder. So, what causes this anti-cooperative behavior to travel from others, away from them, to us, which would cause the situation of self-defense to arise? Again, what causes any individual to generate anti-cooperative behavior to travel to us, to take our goodness, to which we typically respond with in-kind anti-cooperative behavior, which emanates from us outwardly to that person looking to extract our goodness. And this situation we would define as self-defense. So there are two types of this anti-cooperative behavior. One which tries to rob us of our goodness and appropriate it for the perpetrator's well-being. And secondly, the perpetrators act to take our goodness for no apparent gain of goodness back to them, for no goodness to be accrued by them, which would be a, a wanton act. So there is the friendly, cooperative behavior and the other unfriendly type of behavior. There is the friendly, cooperative behavior such as sports games, economic market competition, whereby the anti-cooperative behavior is non-violent, and the unfriendly type, which is violent. And this unfriendly, cooperative behavior is denoted by violence. So what causes competition for goodness to expand from peaceful, societal competition such as companies competing with one another, to others to employ the use of violence. Well, the biology of evolution tries to avoid intra-societal violent competition because it does not allow for the furtherance of the genetic composition of the participants within that gene pool of any of any specific species. In some cases, it may appear that biology doesn't allow for the protection of genes, as in the case of uh, a grizzly bear, a male grizzly bear, which has been known to eat its cubs. Of course, this situation rarely happens intraspecies. And actually, even in the grizzly bear case, this rarely does happen because 
the mother is there to fend off the male grizzly. But in man, there is an exception. Man clearly has brought violence upon his neighbor in so many instances throughout history. Why? Man's behavior can easily go outside the normal biological distribution of genetics that attempts to control the impulse to intraspecies slaughter, annihilation, or, or self-destruction. Sometimes in other species, you can see this type of behavior. But it is, it is rare, and it usually only occurs under unusual or unnatural situations. For example, during sickness, or during an unnatural situation, such as in a scientific experiment, where rats are placed or packed unnaturally tight into the same living spaces. And these individuals are, by necessity, violating the critical distance of others in their immediate environment. And, but these situations are in extremis. And often these are unnatural situations that the experiment looks to create. And that's the clue for us in understanding the human species situation. In order for violence to occur, the associated priority for that violence has to retreat from its high threshold which would be its normal situation of non-use. Normally it takes a lot for us to invoke violence against one another. Thus in order for us to use violence the life entity would have to lower its threshold. That is in normal circumstances in order for a human to produce violence the circumstance must come to an extreme situation that requires the lowering of the threshold priority that prohibits violence and simultaneously up the priority of obtaining the goodness from the target. For example, you have no food at all and need some to live. You, you might steal it and this might cause violence. The priority becomes very high and the threshold of violence is reduced that allows the priority of, of greater importance than the production of violence threshold. So in order to understand violence, we must seek the causes of the change in the priorities which cause which causes the the change of the threshold use of violence. And we had a clue a few moments ago. We know that biological evolution eschews intraspecies violence in general. So we can deduce that in general we should search for the cause of extreme violence in the, in the existence of, of artificial causes for the non-self- defense type of violence. When the individual entity exports the will to commit violence. So in the case of these school violence shootings, we should look to seek 
to cause an admixture of unusual artificial or unnatural circumstances of, of the individual causing the violence. First, guns, or really any kind of weapon by itself, is not an unusual situation. Even animals have weapons, such as their teeth and their claws. Weapons of any kind by itself does not cause an individual to go to extreme situations. If you put a weapon, whatever it may be, <coughs> into somebody's lap, there is no outgoing stimuli from the weapon to the individual. It does not change an individual's priorities. The same with the rest of the animal kingdom. They have their weapons and it doesn't change them. Lions have their teeth, their claws, their strength. It doesn't change them. It is what they are. So what does in the case of the Florida shooting or any of the other shootings like it, that is, any of the other public massacres, and there have been many, what is, what is that that causes them to kill and murder? What has to happen to induce a life entity to produce wanton violence? And, and wanton violence is the coercive extraction of goodness from an individual without the goodness accruing to the, to the perpetrator. First, the normal standard biological priorities that prohibit individual intraspecies violence has to be violated and thus reduced from a normal prioritized threshold to a lower level because it's an unnatural action. The lowering of the threshold has to be from an artificial means, from an unnatural means. Example, examples of this are, are secular ideology, such as communism, a, a religious theology, such as Islam, which, which teaches violence against the unbeliever. Not to go into that in any detail, but just take a look at Quran, Surah 3, verse 151. Quote, Soon shall we cast terror into the hearts of the unbelievers. End quote. Or prescription drugs that are mind-altering and withdrawing from their from those prescription drugs which cause depression. All of these types of examples cause stimuli to go from the source, such as Islam's Quran, the Communist Manifesto, the various types of mind-altering drugs, to the unwitting individual receiver. And reception by the individual receiver may be influenced to the extent that the receiver's priorities are lowered and thus the potential for violence arises. At one point, once the threshold of priorities are lowered, the individual no more has the notion of ethics because his respect of the other individual is diminished as his ethics disappears. And we should probably note that ethics 
the definition of ethics is the appropriate dispensation of respect. Therefore, as his respect of the other individual is diminished, his ethical considerations vanish, and the respect is replaced by the end justifies the means thought process. The ends justifies the means is a thought process that is devoid of ethical considerations. Consequently, the perpetrator falls to the end, justifies the means, and with that means, he is to take goodness from others, and the means is violence by overwhelming force. It is caused by, of course, artificial inducements into their lives. These artificial influences cause our priorities to change. And one of these priorities is our natural respect for others. An example of an artificial inducement to transform these individuals could be mind-altering drugs, which cause the threshold of the priority to a very low threshold to produce violence. But still, what is the goodness that it seeks for himself? Even if the threshold is low, what good does come from the what good does come to the perpetrator? The seeking of or acquisition of another's goodness becomes corrupted. It could be that the threshold lowers to the extent that his motivation is just to relieve or assuage himself of the pain that the drugs have caused him, or the pain that the withdrawal has caused. This pain from the drug has corrupted him and produced a hate of being alive. So we wonder how many of these killers had been on some sort of mind-altering drugs in the past, or believed in some sort of violent ideology that has corrupted their psyche, because here we are predicting that the cause of violence is some unnatural occurrence in their lives that drive them to their violent behavior. But I doubt we'll be told or or informed through any sort of normal media about whether all these killers have been on some sort of drug or, or, or ideology. I'm sure the, the authorities do not want to reveal this to us. Thus, in order to find a, a cause of violence, we must search for the unnatural artificial influence that has come into the life of the perpetrator. Thanks for joining us on The Philosophical Angle. See you at the next episode. Thank you for joining us on The Philosophical Angle podcast. Be sure to subscribe and join us for the next installment.